Good morning. There's a, some ver- a verse in the Bible that says, give honor to who honor is due. And I would like to just give honor today. <clears throat> this is uh, Exodus 31, the first five verses. And I'd like to honor uh, our Bruce Gessick today with this scripture. <clears throat> then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Moses was uh, commanded by God to build the tabernacle. It was the house where the children of Israel had experienced the Shekinah glory, which is the Holy Spirit, so thick you can't do anything. And so Moses was moving forward. So he's talking about this guy. See, I have called him by name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all the manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting in the carving of wood, and to work all the manner of workmanship. And if you were uh, with us at the beginning of this project last year, uh, we had uh, tried to get some people to uh, help us, and uh, it was by God's grace that we didn't, because it was going to cost us a lot of money just for them to design things and plan things, and they had to come from way out of town. And as soon as we decided we could not have that, Bruce Gessick, just the Spirit of God in him and his creativity and his knowledge, his technical ability just rose up and he took this project on. He's been working like seven days a week. And uh, he has been, to me, just like Bezalel was in building the tabernacle. And a lot of what you see was because of his creative understanding and how to do technology and his searching the web for the best speakers and all kinds of things. And I just want us to just honor Bruce Gessick this morning. And Joe uh, Pereira is another man who's right there too. He's very skilled, very very much a craftsperson, uh, very skilled in, in having the eye for detail. And uh, he's been really watching over things too. And even how the carpet was being laid out, he had an eye for something that didn't look right. And him and uh, Tom even spoke how the carpet should be laid so that the, the places that you're going to see would be disturbing you would not be in front. So Joe, thank you so much for God's anointing on you and how skilled you are. And uh, would everyone stand who's been involved working on the project, we just want to honor you too because it's your tireless service and labor that has made this possible. Come on, Craig, stand up. Thank you. If you really get involved in church, you volunteer and you save the church a lot of labor, but you do work hard and we appreciate it. You're working hard. I want to start my message off talking about words first. The word distraction. Something that interferes with concentration or takes attention away from something else. And I want to be a distraction to you today so that something else you would be distracted to would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to pray right now and I want you to surrender every distraction that you're feeling, even this new stage. I want you to surrender every thought, every problem, everything to the Lord. Because without distraction, we need these next few minutes to connect with the Holy Spirit. And you young people that are here, we are hoping that you will experience the presence of God, just like you do when you're out at Kids Church. But it'll be in a a whole new dimension. 
Lord, we come to you today boldly in the name of Jesus, and we're asking you to download to us, Lord, who you are and what you want to say. We acknowledge your Holy Spirit given to us by you to be our comforter and helper, to come and encourage us and bring the word of God to us. You told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come and even bring to remembrance everything that you have taught and commanded, that we might be strong as becoming disciples of you. We pray for the convicting power of your Holy Spirit to change and adjust us so we'll be able to inherit and experience the blessings of God in this life and the hope of eternal life in our next life. And we thank you, Father, that you are a great distraction. Amen. Amen. Many of you have probably heard about, how many have been listening to uh, the debate with the fishing game and the wildlife people about getting salmon uh, trucked down the river to uh, be able to... Uh, hopefully have a, a salmon crop in the next few years. Anybody following that story? Well, they've been talking about it, but they've started trucking salmon, which are about six inches long. They're called smolts. And they've been putting them in trucks and uh, carrying them downstream. And one of the places that they deposited just uh, on the 25th of this last week was uh, Battle Creek. And it's interesting that we're talking about salmon this morning a little bit and how it correlates uh, in the natural to our spiritual life and how salmon have this brief time where they leave hatcheries all over California and different places in the world. And because our water is short right now, they're, they're wanting to give the salmon a, a head start and a jump. But part of the problem is because there's not a lot of heavy runoff is that water is not murky. So the salmon are in clear water. So they become easier prey to different birds and uh, different other predators. So they're, they're having a hope to have the salmon launched now so that in two years and in, in 20, also 2017, there's going to be a, a crop of salmon coming back upstream. You're tracking with me. Good. I want to give you another word spawn offspring especially numerous if numerous produce and deposit eggs produce young especially in large numbers i want to give you two words now that are related to this story and for all of us spawn upstream it's a prophetic word to us this morning spawn upstream we are called to be fruitful upstream when the salmon are released in the sea, it's related to that word in the Bible that talks about the seas being an analogy of being in the world, being in the sea of humanity. You've probably heard that term even literally, like that's used in writing, in the sea of humanity. And when you think of these young salmon, they example who we are and how God desires us to, uh, to live for Him. And how that correlation of that someday those salmon in three years hopefully are going to be able to swim upstream fighting all opposition. How many of you have watched TV like the National Geographic and seen the bears hovering at those rivers and seen those sam, salmon fighting up to jumping up, the, up the, trying to get back to spawn, to have a place where they're fruitful and, and they're fulfilling a destiny. And it really cor correlates with our talking about making disciples, bringing people to Jesus Christ so that they have an opportunity to have eternal life. Can, can you track with me this morning? You are called to spawn upstream. But everything in the sea of life, everything a lot of you have gone through, has what Satan has tried to do is to steal your life, to steal your purpose, your destiny, your hope. Even Savannah, what an awesome testimony that you would share where you've been this week 
but somehow God has got you swimming upstream again. In the process of time, you know, as salmon are returning, they're few in number. In fact, I have a, a little quote from one of the articles I read. A small number of salmon survivors begin their upstream run back to their hatcheries to spawn upstream. We are called to spawn upstream. We are called, once you receive Jesus Christ, to begin to turn around and to begin to swim against the current. To begin against swim against what's easy, what's familiar, what's commonplace, what's temporal. We're used to, in our society, to be relaxed, kick back, take it easy. But in the spiritual realm, we're called to rise up. We're called to swim against the current. We're called to swim against the distractions of our own flesh and our own desires. We're called as disciples to swim against everything that would steal away our faith to get to that place of understanding our call, understanding our purpose, and understanding who we are and how we're to function in that purpose. It's interesting that salmon, as they swim, their final place where they deposit their eggs and they're leaving a legacy of future descendants which they will never see. They reach home, that place where they launched out, that place where they came from, and they find a place of resting and then they perish. That we are called to deposit because we're heading home. But we're to deposit an influence. We're to make disciples. Our kids should be so connected with God because of our lifestyle and our purpose for living and who has become the Lord of our lives, that we're leaving a legacy for them to follow in a greater way to be better disciples than we were ever were. Amen. There's a distraction in this life. The sea of the world is trying to steal our kids, trying to steal our focus, and we have so many other, other options offered to us to take our time and even to offer to our kids. But I tell you, as we've been talking about this series of being gospel-centered, making disciples, telling other people about Jesus, it's so important that we have Jesus Christ at the center of our life and the gospel is, the, is where we center. It's how we center in our families. It's our priorities around Jesus Christ and that gospel message that Jesus Christ came to die for us, that we could have eternal life and that we would pass that message on and learn how to be better disciples and learn to open our eyes and see those people who are around us who are ripe for the kingdom of God. Do I want to spawn upstream? I don't always want to go upstream. I don't always recognize the purpose for which God has called me. I like to kick back. I like to be on the couch. But God is challenging all of us to rise up and be the disciples that Jesus is calling. When I think of the woman at the well, you know, in her own sin, in her own broken relationships, disillusioned probably about marriage, living with that guy she was living with then. And when Jesus confronted her and talked to her, when she, in a moment, she got born again and she went back into her village and she started being a gospel witness. That story is an example that we don't have to have this huge Bible college degree in our head to simply tell people about the Jesus we've just come into a relationship with and had eternal life with. Disciples fish for men. Sorry, no PowerPoint this week. Easy for me, hard for you. <laughs> Matthew 4, 18 and 19, out of the Amplified Version. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, 
Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, throwing a dragon into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come after me as disciples, letting me be your guide. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a call on Hillside for us to be fishers of people who are lost, who are in society, who are in the sea of humanity and are perishing, overwhelmed by the circumstances and the victimization of things that happen to people in our, in our life and in our time. And they're longing to come home. And Jesus is saying, I want to make you fishers of men. In this place, this tabernacle, this place that we're beautifying, it's a place that's only a holding place where we meet a few times a week to have a connection, to have some roots and, and inner places where we begin to connect and, and strengthen each other and stand with each other. But in this place, the Holy Spirit manifests to us, and so we get encouraged, and we can encourage others so that we can become strong in spirit, so that as we live our life during the week, we're sensitized to the Holy Spirit and what He wants to say and do through us. And we begin to take our life back, and we begin to take other people back for Christ. A disciple's purpose, John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. It's interesting as the biologists talk about the, the salmon and, you know, this whole thing where they're trying to truck them and they're trying to think, how does a salmon understand that he swims down this river and in three years, two to three years time, he comes back up that very river that, that he came from. They're trying to figure out, is he leaving, or he or she is, are they leaving little, little particles of themselves? But when you think how the river is running, how could they leave any part of their DNA on any place that they could track back home? I would choose to tell you that it's God. It's something in God has put in them because life, even, even the manner of life that's in fish and animals, it's coming from God. And in them, there's something that resides in them because they're they're God's creatures, God's creation that causes them at the right time to swim up the right stream. I tell you, in Jesus Christ, we are born again and we're spiritually alive. And God has an ability to cause us to spawn upstream, to cause us to get a fight in us. That something rises up inside of us, like prophetically um, Savannah said to us, where we rise up against every opposition and begin to move forward. And I don't care if you've been in a situation for a long time and a lot of years. Something begins to happen where you think this is it. Nothing's ever going to change. And yet something comes over and you begin to rise up. And you begin to move into a way you never have. You begin to see yourself different than you've ever been. Why? Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You have a call. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. And God is asking you to follow. God is asking you to surrender that purpose because he has great things for you. Someone might look at your life and say, oh, I don't see you as being very much used used by God, but you and who you are and how you fit perfectly with what God has called you to do, you will be the most satisfied person for your life. Because no one can live your life but you. And only you have the destiny and only you have the hope and only you have the resurrection power of Jesus dwelling in you if you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. We are called as disciples to walk with people while they are being formed. Galatians 4.19 Paul said, my little children for whom I labor in birth, in that birthing process again until Christ is formed in you. And God is calling more of us to be and get around people to help them as Christ is being birthed and formed in their life. 
as they're becoming little stronger smelts or smolts so until they get big, you know, and they're swimming on their own and they're saying, okay, I don't need you anymore. I can swim on my own and I'm going to help other people swim because God has formed me. Christ has formed me. The message, the powerful message of the gospel has formed me and has created life in me and has created a strong spirit in me. And I know who I am and I know where I'm going and I know my destiny. I know my future. I know my inheritance and I'm beginning to possess it. A lot of times we're waiting for God to do something and sometimes it's time to step let loose a one bar and reach to the another. Because only in that will the enemy be displaced from those places that, that he's holding that are ours and, and defying and mocking us. Who is following you? Our call, my whole purpose for however long I have her is to encourage you to follow Jesus. I hope I can excite you. I hope uh, the message that God gives me encourages you. But my message is that you don't follow me, that you learn to follow Jesus. That you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes, you get helped by people. You're encouraged by people. You find your place in the body. You, you support each other. You draw from each other. But you follow Jesus. People are going to fail you. People are going to have different calls and they're going to make different turns. And we don't understand where God sends people, but we must not be discouraged by people's lies. But we must be encouraged by their lies, but be encouraged to follow Jesus Christ as our own Lord and Savior. We must give account. We read that yesterday in our men's Bible study. Someday we have to give an account for what we're doing, how we live our life, and what gifts and talents that God has given us. And are we using them? Are you leading those around you to follow Jesus? Again, we must pass people on to Jesus. The gospel of Jesus makes disciples. Again, I told you about the woman at the well. Continuing in that story in John 4, 39-42, after she went her way and told her friends and family, it says, And many Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Again, the focus on testimony the last few weeks at Thrive, that your testimony of Jesus is powerful, and it gets more powerful when you rehearse it and then you give it out. It becomes instantaneous. It's like turning on the faucet of God when you begin to tell people about your life experience with Jesus Christ. It becomes empowered. It becomes spiritual life, and it penetrates the lives of those that God wants to use and, and help that testimony to share, that you're sharing with, it is what changes them. The power of God through your testimony. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they, say to, they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They heard Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is the living gospel. He is the power of God that broke into the world, that brought us hope and good news, that let us know that we ha can have eternal life through Him, and we can have that life now through the Holy Spirit, empowering us to live an overcoming, victorious life now, giving us the hope that we can live against any circumstance, any death, anything that comes to take away our hope and our purpose that that's what comes and resides in us it's jesus christ in us but he's unseen it's the power of the holy spirit 
our key verse for today, John 15, 8. By this, and that this is the gospel message. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you, will you be my disciples. The gospel, that is what changes us. That is what transforms us. That's what makes us new. That's what brings us back to our power source. And, and I just have to say, there's something happened. When you, when you received Jesus, how many know something began to happen? You had a feeling, you felt loved, you felt drawn. That is the power of the gospel. It comes to us. We respond to it. We're saved. What happens after that? Why do we kind of wane in our faith? Because our faith needs to continually be challenged. And it's the Word of God that, is, that, that builds our faith in other areas. We don't have any struggle in believing uh, that Jesus can save us. How many are struggling that, you know, I mean, you accepted Jesus. How many know you're saved? Come forward after. We'll, we'll help you. I tell you, there comes a confidence once you receive Jesus Christ that you know heaven's done. I, I know where I'm going. But every day, our faith is challenged because of our five senses, because of our feelings and our emotions. We become distracted from the truth that God's Word is very powerful. And we have to begin to look at our experience that our feelings say God's not doing anything and really counter that because God's Word doesn't change. Jesus declared, though God's word declares, let God be true and every man a liar. My feelings that are contrary to the word of God, there is what I have to discount, not God's word. When we don't believe God's word is true, we back up, we stop believing, and our faith kind of makes us go stagnant. We have to continue to contend for the word of God and look at the word of God like it's true. And it stands on its own. We don't have to defend it. We rest in it. But we need to shake ourselves out of everything that's causing us to disbelieve God's word. Because in God's word, again, just like the gospel is the power to salvation, God's word is the power for us to live an overcoming, victorious life. Amen. The local church, the places where disciples are, are worked on and formed. Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. The church becomes a home. The church becomes a place of safety, a net of security, a place where fish are being cleaned and changed and, and molded by Jesus Christ. God's business. Again, making disciples. Luke 2, 49. Jesus said to his parents at that early age, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus' business is reconciling people to God. So we came and died on the cross to deal with our sins, that we might receive forgiveness of sin, that we might have an incredible relationship with God, that we might keep moving forward from all our failures, all our defeats, and all our past. Our mind was made to walk in cooperation with God. On our own, all we feel is our defeats, our failures. We're always looking back, trying to think, how are we going to fix what's past? We've got to quit looking back. We've got to look to the cross. We've got to look that Jesus paid for our failures, our mistakes. I don't care how old you are today and how many failures you've done. It is Jesus Christ and the power of that resurrection life that's going to get you up again and have you looking forward. He's going to give you a destiny, a hope, a future, a purpose. It's not going to come by your head. It's going to come by your heart. It's going to come by your spirit becoming strong and relieving the pressure of guilt and shame 
and accusations and condemnation that the enemy does to keep us looking backward. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is continually transforming our very life, our very nature. I love this verse, and I hope you don't get tired of me telling you this. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Two, that's the journey to salvation continually over and over again that we experience the power of God, the power of God's word, the power and the life-transforming gospel message that sometimes we're more hung up in our problems, we're forgetting how powerful it is. And so when we're around people who are ready to hear Jesus, we're not talking about Jesus because we're in a current problem and we're not believing that God is going to deal with that and God's going to use that very thing to help me overcome something else. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. There's a verse, I think it's in the Old Testament, it says, those who observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Those lying vanities are those things that come against our knowledge of the word that, that we compare our experiences with what the word says and we say, well, the word is not relevant. It, it's, not, it's not working. No! Oh, God, I don't understand my circumstances. I don't understand my experience. I don't understand what's happened to me in my experience that's causing me to have unbelief for you. But God, forgive me. God, I want you to root out unbelief. I want you to root out my distrust in your gospel message. Belief is the process of trusting God. And it takes time to replace our experiences with the word of God. It's like burning your hand once. That's it. You're never going to put your hand in the fire again. But with God, God's saying you cannot go by your experiences even though you've burned and you look at your circumstances, you feel like you've been burned by God or burned by His Word. You've got to go back. You've got to go back to rebuild a new experience that God's Word is powerful to change your life. That God's Word can rebuild you and give you hope and give you reason even though you may grieve a loss or something that's been very traumatic or hurtful in your past and, and you can't seem to get over it with God, you must come back to the source of your life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God, our everlasting Father, and it's the Holy Spirit working to change our experience. The gospel reconciles people to God. Every disciple's ministry is involved with reconciling people to God. That's why it's so important. If you're in this church very long, if you go through membership, our key thing is if you get hurt by someone, you go work it out with that person. You don't go talk to anybody else. You go to that person. Because if you talk to someone else, you're going to influence someone else. They're going to get attitudes to that person. Then if you reconcile, they're still going to have attitudes to that person. Matthew 18, if you're offended, go to your brother between you and him and work it out. Only if it doesn't get worked out because you love that brother and you don't want to lose that relationship, you bring a, a church leader or a, someone who's responsible, someone who loves both of you, and you work reconciliation. Satan wants to divide us. We need each other. Reconciliation. God's a God of reconciliation. I'm not reconciled to God in Jesus Christ, and then I'm, I don't want to be around people. No. God is drawing us together. I know it's hard. I tell you, I'll tell you about what I struggled with. You know, uh, I can't even say it today. I can't even remember what I'm struggling with. But it's, it's social anxiety. And I find myself constantly in the midst of people. God's way of fixing things is not our way of fixing things. God's ways are higher. God sees us where we're at. 
the, our counselors and everyone who are well-meaning and well-minded or they want to help us. But a lot of times diagnosing and labeling ourselves can just incre increase faith against who we are in Christ. And thank God for godly counselors because they help us get up and get out Amen. of our stuff. Second yeah. Corinthians 5.18. I hope I'm doing good on my time. Paul said, all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that by the word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. Christians always ask, well, what does God want me to do? Be reconciled to people. If you can make amends with people, make amends. If it's not timing, keep praying. Keep working towards reconciliation. Be open to share the gospel because that's going to reconcile other people back to Jesus. When we bring people to Jesus, they encounter him. In Mark 10, 49-52, it's a story about the blind man. And Jesus stopped and said, call that blind man to me. And they called the blind man telling him, take courage, get up. He is calling for you. And throwing off his outer garment, he leaped up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has healed you. Notice what Jesus is saying to him. I'm healing you, but he's giving him permission. You go do whatever you want to do. Go your way. Go wherever you plan to go. Go. You're healed. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine I'm not seeing? And now you can see? And Jesus says, go your way? Yes! <laughs> At once, he received his sight and accompanied Jesus on the road. He turned around and he started becoming a spawn up, upstream man. Why? That encounter with Jesus so transformed his life, his way now became Jesus' way. Why? Jesus healed him. Jesus offered him something that he couldn't get anywhere else. And so why would he go his own way? Thank you, I have a new way. And when you come to Jesus, I tell you, Jesus gives you new purposes. He gives you a new way to live. He gives you new hope. And he gives you something that resides in you. There's something that happens when we're born again. Our spirit reconnected with God causes us to do those very things that we don't want to do. How many can say that as a Christian, you feel like that? I am doing the things I don't want to do because something motivates me. Something drives me. Something compels me. What is that? It's Christ in us. It shows that we are born again, men and women of God. And though we're struggling at times, though we'd like to maybe be laying in bed today, watching an old movie, reading the newspaper, going online, we're motivated to get up, come to the house of God, get energized, get excited, get motivated, get yelled at. And we're to see sinners like Jesus sees sinners. You know, seeing that movie that I got a couple weeks ago, uh, every time I see, even it's the old movies about Jesus, when, when you have a visual, it just connects your heart. And when you see Jesus loving people, and that scene that really got to me was where, you know, he's all beaten, right? And they're whipping. I mean, the, the guy's been beaten all night. He hasn't slept in a couple of days, and he keeps falling under the weight of that cross. And they, every time he falls, they're beating him, saying, get up and carry your cross. And, and I, I remembered, wow, I don't know about you, but if someone hit me once, I'd have a lot of hatred towards them. I'd have a lot of negative feelings in my heart. 
But I was remembering, Jesus was going to the cross, and he loved the very people who were beating him. And it just had me look at this whole thing about what Jesus said about loving our enemies, loving people. How can we love people? By telling them the gospel. What about our enemies? I think we love them by telling them the gospel message, get them saved so they start going upstream and feel what we feel. You want to punish your enemy? Get them saved. <laughs> then they got to take up their cross and follow Jesus, and they're going to they're gonna have some, some, some pain. Unless any of you out there are not having any pain as a Jesus follower. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, I say, love your enemies. Romans 5.10, Apostle Paul reminds us, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were all once Jesus' enemies, but it was our sins that helped nail him to the cross. Everything that we ever did, everything, anything that we could ever do wrong was already nailed to Jesus. So we're really free. Some of you today should feel a whole weight lifting off of you. The reality of what Jesus did should just hit you like, there is now freedom to live for Jesus. There's now freedom to let the Holy Spirit have you live differently, speak differently, see yourself differently, see people differently. Being born again is for everyone. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul said, If any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, they, he, is a new creation, a new creature altogether, that means not just partly, we're not just partly saved. We're just not partly cleaned up. Jesus took on the sins of the world. Everything that was ever done wrong or would be done wrong. Jesus took the weight of it, the punishment of it. He took our place. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, look. Fresh and new has come. Some of you need to, to just maybe memorize that scripture, Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, because as you fight to restore your own mind and your own sense of who you are, a weight will come off of you, a weight of guilt and sin, a weight and heaviness that you can now just throw off and receive the righteousness of Christ, what he's done for you. Walk as a son and daughter. Put your head up. You know, put a smile on your face. You're a king's kid. You belong to him. He's going to keep manifesting himself to you. He's going to give you a reason for your future. Regardless of what we think about ourselves, even memories of past sins, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, and you can put your name in, maybe in your Bible you should scratch your name in there. For our sake, God made Christ virtually to be sin. Jesus he who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become endued with, re viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became every wicked thing we've ever thought of or could do. Every horrible convicting situation that we're in, Jesus became that. To lift off our guilt, our shame. To lift off the what would encompass us and hold us to uh, a horrible, perverted life. Jesus took on himself that we might experience the total freedom. You know, we're talking about making disciples and being evangelistic. 
people say evangelism is not my gift. How many would say that? I'm not an evangelist. You don't get away with that. I'm not an evangelist. Now, my wife, I think she's an evangelist. Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Oh, I wonder what Tim thought about that. Again, the gospel message of reconciliation, to reestablish and to restore relationship, to make things right. 2 Corinthians 5.19, it was God personally present in Christ that gives us a whole new view of God. You know, in the Old Testament, we see God as a God who judges. I mean, man, you did wrong. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But this gives us a whole new view of God, that in all of God's plan, that it was God, God's great love, God who is in love, that he invested all of his love in Christ to bring us back to himself. It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of restoration to favor. Wasn't Freddie's testimony awesome? Getting, getting, getting double homicide erased. Wasn't that incredible? God freeing a person. That's grace. Everywhere Freddie goes, he gives that testimony of the freedom he has, he's got in Christ. Awesome. You know, uh, Thursday, I woke up about 5 in the morning, and it, it was my dentist day. I was going to the dentist. But I started praying for my dentist. And, and I, I was wondering, wow, is today the day I'm supposed to talk to my dentist? So I was thinking about it. And you know, when you start thinking about maybe what God wants you to do, you get kind of scared. So I went in. I was waiting to go into the room to get worked on. And I, I asked the receptionist, how long have I been coming here? And she looks up in my folder and she said, I think you've been here almost 10 years. I said, oh, okay. So I was already thinking, like, how can I open up talking to my dentist? My dentist, he, uh, he's the kind of guy, he is so friendly. When, you're, when he's got two hands in your mouth and the drill going, he's asking you questions. <laughs> and, and it's like, okay. And, and I hear him, you know, the walls are just, just literally petitions between, I think they have five different working stations. He gives this guy a shot and goes works on another person and he's talking to this person. And I mean, you're waiting. And I'm thinking, wow, he is so talking. I heard him talking to the other guy, live story. I mean, he's, and then he's talking to his assistant, and he's like talking a million miles an hour, and I'm thinking, he goes, he, he has every moment accountable. How am I ever going to talk to him? I'm already talking myself out of this, right? How, how am I going to be able to talk to him? And I'm thinking, I, I know, I just know, because I hear, hear his conversation, I know he's not a Christian. How am I going to talk to him? So, he, he's started at work on me. He's waiting for my shot to get better, but he sits down and he asked the lady for another sheet to keep wa- writing stuff about me. So we sit in there and I'm thinking, okay, here's your chance. What are you going to do? <laughs> and so I said, and I said his name and I said, you know, I just want to thank you that you've been taking care of my teeth for almost 10 years and I have a complete trust in you. You know, I, I, every time I come, I know you just take care of me. And he just, now when you tell someone when you kind of give him a little bread before the meat, you know, your sandwich principle, you say a little positive thing, he just like put his pen down and he just turned. He's sitting in a chair, just he's listening to me. He's always talking. I have my f- f- face is swelling up, but I, 
I still can talk. So I said, and I said his name. I said, you know, God, and he knows I'm a pastor. Because every so often he'll ask me, well, how's the church going and everything? But um, I said, you know, God woke me up at 5 o'clock this morning, and I was praying for you. And he says this. He goes, you know, I was taking my shower today, and I thought about my parents. They, they're both dead, but I felt like their presence was here. I, I know somehow I think they're in heaven, but I felt their presence with me, right? So he's telling that. And I, and I said, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I just want to let you know, I feel like um, God wants to reveal himself to you. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins that we might come into a relationship with God. He took all of our sins. We don't have to do anything but just come to him and say, you know, I believe you died for my sins. And then a relationship, that born-again experience happens, and we now have a, a deeper communication between us and God. He was very open. He almost, like, teared up. He just listened. And he said, like, wow, that, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's a lot to think about. So he goes and finishes, you know, and, you know, and, and then he goes works on someone else, and then the other lady, she's working on the rest of my tooth and everything. And while I'm in the chair, you know, because a lot of people say nowadays, my, you know, my family's, all around me and everything, and, you know, they're dead, but they're, they're, they're here with me. And I felt like God gave me a revelation about what he said. And so we came back in, and just I got up, I said, Dr. So-and-so, I just want to say one more thing to you. It only takes me a minute. I said, you know, you were talking about, you know, you felt the presence of your parents this morning. I think I know what that was. Do you know the Bible says that God is love? And what you were feeling was God's love. You're in a place right now where the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself and Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. Jesus wants to change everything you know about God because he wants to make himself personal to you. I said, if you'll go home tonight and, and get, get your Bible out, read in the book of John, God wants to reveal himself and let you understand what's happening. And, and he said, you know what, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to read that right before I go to bed I'm going to read John 3 so I just want to let you know it's those moments I just knew in my heart that's that prophetic sensitivity we get because we're born again we're connected with God so he puts things on our heart and yes it's going to be a little scary but if you will follow through you will be so excited about the people God's going to bring to you that you can share the gospel with and as you share I tell you that was like this week was like a highlight for me in, in God. I had so much joy. Doing God's will, sometimes in our mind we think, oh man, being a Christian or speaking for Jesus, oh, it's going to be hard. Or, but I tell you, when we step out, only in the moment when we step out to talk to someone about Jesus, is there a grace, and it's the Holy Spirit that comes at that moment. And it's grace to the person who's receiving the message, but it's grace to you who's giving the message. God blesses the giver and the receiver. And so, maybe the worship team can come up. Will you stand with me?